You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 10. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Your Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I am Dr. Davidson. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. In this podcast, we are going to do a case study. So I know in our previous podcasts, we do talk a lot about hormones. We like to talk about diagnosis and treatment and educate. But we also like to do case studies because we have lots of amazing patients with amazing stories with wonderful outcomes. So in this particular podcast, we're going to talk about a patient, a current patient, of Dr. Mackey's that he's been working with. And in this case, I guess you could say it kind of, well, it revolves around cancer. And this particular client, this female, she is, which is not common, she is pretty much 100% guaranteed to get cancer in her lifetime because of her genetic background. But the wonderful thing is, is she doesn't have cancer. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a trend moving forward. I think that we're going to introduce case studies uh, on a regular basis because it's not just information for information's sake. These are real life stories of people's lives and their current situations. And, you know, hopefully that can also educate and entertain, entertain about cancer. I don't know if that's really the right, right word, but certainly these are real life situations that have major impact on people's lives and happiness and sadness and all the things that go, we, you know, we hear that big C word and everyone gets scared. And however, the world of cancer is changing drastically, both for the good and for the bad. And I think cancer is a very political disease in general. Part of the reason why you and I, we don't really deal with cancer. Thank God we don't have uh, very many patients that actually develop cancer based on treatment or just from life in general. So today we're going to talk about a condition called, and it's not really about the condition, it's more about the bigger picture of that condition. Uh, my patient, uh, she was diagnosed with what they call FAP, familial edematous polyposis. And this is, as Dr. Davidson mentioned, a genetic problem that is inherited, of course, from a mom or dad. And as you said, it is literally a 100% chance of developing cancer at some point in life. In particular, colon cancer. There's some other cancers that go along with FAP that puts the person higher at risk for like a thyroid cancer, some different tumors. But in particular, it's developing these polyps that eventually turn cancerous in your colon. So as Dr. Mackey had mentioned, this is a genetic condition that's inherited where a lot of cancers and probably most cancers really, to put that out there, aren't necessarily genetic. There might be a predisposition in family history, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're genetic. But in the case of FAP, it truly is a genetic mutation that we pass on down to family members. Yeah. So because of that, and granted, now we always, I think people in general associate genetics with cancer. If mom or dad had something or sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandmother, a grandfather had cancer, then you're going to get cancer. And in reality, that's not true. Cancers are, as you said, they're more spontaneous. They just happen from diet and lifestyle. But that's why FAP is somewhat intriguing because of that almost guarantee that you're going to develop cancer. You're kind of born with this really bad news that you're going to get cancer someday. And honestly, 
I don't even know what that would be like, right? You're, you're a teenager, you're in your early twenties or mom or dad already have it in my case. So my, my patient, her dad um, died, I believe in his either early to mid forties or his late forties or early fifties, I believe um, from this exact condition from FAP. So she knew early on because she was tested for it. She knew like in her twenties that she had this problem. And of course, from there, you're set on this course of doing regular colonoscopies to screen for cancer and at a, you know, a fairly more consistent rate at an earlier age and a more consistent rate than most people are recommended to have them from a early detection perspective. And all through her 20s and 30s, she had literally hundreds, if not thousands of polyps in her colon. You know, that's a lot. And for this to be diagnosed with FAP, that's usually how they call it a clinical diagnosis. Usually they do a colonoscopy. For some reason, they find uh, over 100 polyps in your colon and they suspect that it might be familial. And then, of course, the rest of your family gets tested at the same time. I can't remember. Did your patient have any brothers or sisters or siblings with this condition too? No, unfortunately, which we'll get to in a little bit more detail, but unfortunately her daughter has also been diagnosed with it. Uh, so her dad had it, she has it, and now her daughter has it. So it's, you know, it's carrying through the lineage. Now the daughter is going to have to make that decision if she decides to have children someday, if she wants to take that risk or not, because there's like a 50-50 chance that her children could actually have the same condition. Well, on a side note with, you know, I have, you know, looked into a little bit of this is doing the IVF and doing the now probably when, how old's her daughter in her Yeah, like I think she's like 22. Oh yeah. 21, 22. So she's in her twenties, probably when she got pregnant, they didn't have the genetic testing that you can do on the eggs on the mom and the dad when you're doing IVF. So there's a lot more options for the daughter nowadays if she wants to have children. Yeah, right. Which is, you know, which is amazing, right? There's not, whether she wants to or not, or she has to make that tough decision, there are some possibilities there. But it's still, as I said a few minutes ago, it's still got to weigh on you a little heavy to be in your 20s and get this news that if at some point you're going to get colon cancer, right? That, that's that got to be a pretty heavy thing to think about and ponder that at some point this issue is going to happen. Now, in my patient's situation, I met her. She was in her late 30s at the time. She, of course, had, you know, has gastroenterologists, has met with surgeons. The problem, and this is where kind of her and I became connected, is the main treatment option for this condition, because of the 100% risk of cancer, is to have a colectomy where they actually remove the colon. And in some cases, they even remove the colon and the rectum. So she would have been in her mid to late 30s and would have had to have a colostomy bag. She did not want to go through that procedure and be very disruptive for the rest of her life. So she knew she had FAP before she met you. Mm -hmm. So then she opted with a definitive no to have the surgery. And then, of course, then opted again to meet with you to look at different treatment? Well, yeah. So again, this was from a relative that I met first and her and I had some discussion. She was just kind of picking my brain as far as some ideas and some possibilities. I'm like, at the time, like I said, I didn't know anything about FAP, but there's always something that can be done, right? At least that's the way that you and I think. We we think different. We think outside the box. There's always something that can be done. When you look up all the things online about this condition, there's no treatment. The only option is surgery. Okay, that to me seems very... Um, black and white, and honestly, in the 21st century, not good enough, especially from a genetic uh, condition that we're learning a lot more about genetics all the time and learning that genes can be, from an epigenetic standpoint, genes can be modified based on environment, right? So 
she came in. We just had a discussion. I didn't really know exactly what we were going to do or whatever, but she didn't want to have surgery. She was in her late 30s, early 40s. And the idea of her having a colostomy bag, she was just prolonging the surgery for as long as she possibly could. She was just buying herself some time. And lo and behold, you know, thank God she had never gotten, a, you know, she had multiple colonoscopies with none of them coming back as having cancer. Well, how could they have known that if she has over 100 polyps? You can't you know, to remove them and test them all. So their own, their thing was you've got more than a hundred, you know, polyps in your colon, just remove it. So they, re- so they don't really know if any of those polyps were truly cancerous at the time, right? Well, there's got to be, there's a difference between a cancerous tumor and a polyp. And we probably have to do a little bit more research to know that exact difference. And it's not really important at the moment, but you're right. That's the, the prophylactic treatment is to remove it before you get cancer. That's the treatment option. Remove the colon as opposed to, you know, like, for those of us, we were 50 years old, we go in for a colonoscopy, they might find two polyps, they remove them, they biopsy them, you know, they test them, they say they're non-cancerous, great, and then you come back, you know, five to 10 years later, depending on what those polyps showed up. For her, because she had more than 100 polyps, they can't remove them and test them, so they just do the colonoscopy and then say, when surgery? Yeah, right. And I think that's easy from a surgeon's perspective. Surgeons say, just take it out. We're preventing cancer. And now you have to live with a colostomy bag. But that wasn't, she didn't really want to do that. She did not want to do that. She was a little stubborn and I don't blame her. You know, you don't want to live, you know, 30 or 40 years with a colostomy bag. For all of you that don't really realize what a colostomy bag is, it's when you have this bag that collects your stool on the outside of your body. Because literally if they take your colon out, you know, there's no way to remove move all that waste. So it's literally on this pouch that comes through the abdominal wall and is on the outside of your body. So you could understand, at least in some ways, how inconvenient that would be for a mom and a wife and just living life in general. So for whatever reason, she put it off, put it off, put it off. All her surgeons, all they kept doing is just saying, you need to have the surgery, you need to have the surgery, kind of pressuring her into that. And again, they are seeing it from the perspective that this is a 100% risk developing cancer. At that point, she had been cancer-free despite having literally thousands of polyps in her colon. And I've seen her colonoscopy reports. This is where the good news comes in. We just decided, okay, there's got to be, there got to be something that we can at least try to do. I said, let me do some research. I went on PubMed. Um, for those of you that don't know, all the research that is done all around the world is compiled in this database called PubMed.gov. You can go on there. Anybody can go on there. It's a wonderful resource. There's tons, thousands, and th- probably millions of research studies uh, spanning the entire 20th century and into the 21st century. So I just started doing some research about you know FAP and some possibilities. And I already had some possibilities even before that, but just wanted to look at the, do a little bit of a, what they call a literature review to see what else has been done. And there had been a little bit. There was actually quite a bit of information and then of some of my own ideas at the same time put together a hormone and nutrient supplement nutrient-based protocol. She already had a pretty good diet. Her diet was predominantly whole foods, protein, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, not a lot of sugar, very little alcohol. Actually, I think no alcohol and a few other things. So her diet was already in a pretty good place, partially because of this condition that she has. So we didn't have to do a lot in that realm, but then implemented two prescriptions. I gave her progesterone, an oral capsule of progesterone. I gave her some thyroid, what they call a medication called natrothroid, which we talked about a few episodes ago. We'll talk more about in the future. And then I gave her a list of some very, what I thought were very targeted, specific nutrients that were supposed to cover some very specific ideas. 
So when you were looking into this, because you think about cancer and the immune system, was that sort of your rationale behind it was trying to work on the immune system so the immune system can work on the cancer? Or was it more about, because you also think about cancer is also inflammation, was it more anti-inflammatory or kind of when you're working on the immune system and the inflammatory system, it was kind of the same thing together? Yeah, a little bit of all that, to be honest. Also, some of the nutrients that help with what they call cell differentiation. So the way that a cell forms, it turns into one cell into whatever kind of cell it's going to be. In this case, it's an epithelial cell of the colon, making sure those cells form properly. That's where a polyp comes from in the first place. Now, again, this condition, FAP, has a mutation to the APC gene, which is, as I said, on chromosome 5. That's the edematous polyposis coli. That's why these polyps develop in the colon as opposed to anywhere else. But again, that is complicated. At the time, I didn't really know any of that. I just had some, we're going to start with something. Let's put something in motion and let's see what happens. She's got nothing to lose. She already has a surgeon basically on backup. If she were to get a colonoscopy and it says she's got cancer, then she goes, has the surgery anyways. And that was her idea. And I was just there to support her. I didn't talk her into that. That is what she wanted to do because she figured the same thing. Why not try something? So a couple of prescriptions, some very targeted nutrients, which we'll get to in a minute. One of the ones that I thought was, especially from polyp formation is vitamin A. Vitamin A is very important in cell differentiation and increasing immunity and certain things along the linings of our body. So every mucosal membrane, including the colon, vitamin A plays a fairly important role there. And then, of course, probiotics and turmeric. Turmeric is part of that anti-inflammatory cascade you're talking about. Just other nutrients, some methylation factors like B12, folic acid, B6, in a little bit higher doses than what a multivitamin would provide. And then additionally, also a multivitamin. Oh, I think a little, I gave her some vitamin D as well. All, you know, all in very specific amounts, So this was a span of about almost three years. She started my protocol, was very religious with the protocol. We didn't really make a lot of changes. It was very consistent. Two and a half years later, from one colonoscopy to the next, the one she had right before she met me, thousands of polyps. Two and a half years later, this is the best part. Two and a half years later, she gets another colonoscopy and she is 100% polyp free on her colonoscopy. Oh, that is just amazing. So all those thousands of polyps, are gone. Yeah. And I honestly, I didn't, it took me a while to even understand the the gravity of that. I don't think her surgeon, her gastroenterologist quite understood because all he even, this is the disappointing part. You know, she came in, she got the colonoscopy done. She was already scheduled to have it. She came in, she was all excited, smiling. She's, you know, got good news. The colonoscopy, it was free of polyps, which is not supposed to happen, right? That is like, unheard of with this condition. That is just not supposed to happen because this is genetic mutation. You can't fix it. There's no treatment for it. No, no pharmaceutical treatment for it. So you're left with this fate of having to have surgery or cancer. Take your pick. So that was, we were both thrilled. And all her surgeon really said was, well, when are you going to have surgery? A little demoralizing, getting really good news and progress in the right direction. And he was still just concerned about when she's going to have surgery. Well, you know, he's working in his box. That's his, that's his area is surgery. And sometimes they think of, you know, A plus B equals C. So you have FAP, you remove the colon, you don't get cancer. That's all they're looking at. Like you said, we look outside the box and we're filling in a gap that really, because truly the only treatment, like you said earlier, is to remove the colon. It just seems so 
it just seems so invasive, but they're trying to prevent cancer. That's all they know. So this is, you know, this is amazing to see such a reversal on this. And the cool thing was, is these are all natural. They're n- none of them are medications. I mean, the nature throid, the progesterone technically are medications, but they're natural medications. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, you know, your proverbial prescription that is designed specifically for this problem because that doesn't exist. Right. I mean, we've been looking for race for the cure kind of an idea for cancer for a very long time. Some kind of medication that's going to cure cancer. And that just, in my opinion, that'll probably never happen necessarily. But in this case, you know, granted, she didn't have cancer. She still doesn't have cancer. But right now, it's looking very good that she might not get cancer. Now, I can't predict the future. Uh, certainly, if you talk to any gastroenterologist that deals with this kind of condition, so they'll still say, they'd still recommend surgery and say you're going to get cancer at some point. But if she doesn't have any polyps, if she doesn't have any masses in her colon, how can she get cancer? So as long as you keep her lesion polyp mass free in the colon, then that would reduce her likelihood of cancer, right? Yeah, from 100% down to maybe zero. To zero. You don't have a mass in the colon, you don't have cancer. Right, 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 right. Now, a little bit of backup about cancer in general. 90% of cancers are of the carcinoma type. What defines a carcinoma is that they are cancers of epithelial tissue. Epithelial cells are basically is a one cell thick layer that are basically when we you and I were in school, they taught us that it's basically coverings and linings. Okay, So in this case, we're talking about the lining of the digestive tract, the lining of the colon. There's a one cell thick layer of cells there called the epithelium. That's where these polyps originate from. And those polyps then eventually turn into cancer based on this mutation. And most carcinomas, wherever they are in the body, they are of this type. Okay, So again, the big picture is one, there's always something that can be done, right? That's our philosophy, first and foremost, there's always something that can be done. And two, if this can have an impact on a genetic problem that can kind of steer it in a more positive direction, the possibilities there are unlimited. The possibilities literally are unlimited in some ways for all types of cancers. Now, I'm not don't get me wrong. I'm not over speaking what, what has happened here. This is one person, one case. It's an, as they say in research, an N of one, right? It needs to be reproduced, you know, several times because that's what makes it valid. This could just honestly be just a big fluke and a miracle and it could never be reproduced ever again. But at least in this case, there is objective data, colonoscopy, you know, one before and one after. That's how this is monitored and di- diagnosed that shows definitive improvement, drastic definitive improvement in a two and a half year span. Like you said, there's, you know, an N of one, this is just one person, but it's still amazing. It's still dramatic. I mean, you've changed this possibility of this person getting cancer. And then not only that extends out to the family, because we all know people that have cancer. We all know people that have died from cancer and how it affects not just that person, but really truly the family members and the people that are close to them. So you've, you know, you potentially changed a whole sort of family dynamic or just her life and also given hope to her daughter. Like you said, her daughter's in her 20s. Her daughter has the same genetic material as her is she could potentially do the same protocol depending on her progesterone and thyroid levels. But 
potentially do some of that same protocol to prevent any polyps ever from coming. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they always talk about in cancer, and this has always kind of bothered me a little bit. And I don't mean to be crass or unsympathetic or whatever, um, but they always talk about early detection. In my opinion, early detection is not prevention. Okay? Prevention is prevention, right? This is a case of preventing cancer when you know that that is a guaranteed to happen at some point, as opposed to the conventional model is just to screen, 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 screen. Oh, you have it. Okay, now let's do something. That is done a lot in medicine. Nothing is done until there is a diagnosis. Now, she already had a diagnosis, but unfortunately, there's no pharmaceutical that could be given. And honestly, the nutrients, now granted, the progesterone thyroid, there's some rationale behind. Honestly, the thyroid is more of a palliative, right? Give her some energy, just kind of help her system just in general, help immune function. Boosting thyroid can certainly have an impact on immune function. Uh, and there's probably even some, I'm still kind of trying to re- reverse engineer what I recommended and why it worked. That's the part that I don't know yet. Okay. I don't know if it was one, two, three, four, or a collection, the entire protocol. Maybe it was just the thyroid. Maybe it was just the progesterone. Maybe it was just the curcumin or the turmeric. Maybe it was the vitamin A. I tend to think that it was the synergy of all of it kind of put together. And that's logical to assume that as to why it worked, right? It's not one treatment. It's not one drug. It's not one pharmaceutical. It's the collection that creates the synergy that has the major impact. And then, like you had mentioned, the lifestyle aspect, too. If she had done this protocol, taking these supplements, you know, the supplementation, taking the hormones, but then had a terrible lifestyle, she probably wouldn't have gotten the outcome that happened, don't you think? Yeah, right. And so she had already done her part. One, she was consistent. She was disciplined by doing it every single day. She never hardly missed a dose. Uh, You know, she's got a lot of motivation, right? She knows that this is in some ways kind of her last shot and she's got to really give it some effort, which she did do. So she did all the hard work. I came up with a, I think what I thought was a fairly good idea at the time. And then she put it in motion. Took It took some time. It took, it was a span of almost three years, just under three years from colonoscopy to colonoscopy, which I believe it should have been a little bit sooner than that. But I think she had some insurance issues and she switched insurances and something like that. You got to get pre-authorization because for most people, they say what to do a colonoscopy, what every five years or something. Well, with FAP, it's every six months to a year. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because again, because of all those polyps, your likelihood, they want to catch it immediately when they find a cancerous or something that looks suspicious, they want to act quickly. Uh, Now, usually by her being in her late 30s, early 40s, she would have already had the surgery by then. Okay. So they usually recommend it much earlier than that to avoid this problem. I think it's like a 90% rate of developing cancer by the age of 40. It's 100% by the age of like 44 or something. If left untreated, the median mortality age is like is like 44. So, I mean, this really has a bad prognosis if you follow some of that conventional information. Now, granted, we're talking about this for one, it's a great outcome. So it's a great story with potential, like you say, to have an impact on future generations. And because we're sharing on the podcast, this could have impact of people all around the world because this is not just one person. There are literally thousands of people. This is relatively a rare 
problem to begin with. But still, this opens up possibilities for people that are that currently have it. And 30% of these FAP cases are what they call de novo, meaning that they just happen spontaneously. So you can develop this problem, not even congenitally, but just randomly. If you go get a colonoscopy and you have over 100 polyps, it's a possibility that you could develop this problem later in life. So you could be in your 30s or 40s or what do people usually get colonoscopies? They don't get them until later on. Till they're 50. Yeah, right. And then a lot of times they put them off because who really wants to have a colonoscopy? Yeah, not, not many people put that on their top of their party list because it's not a fun experience to go through. But if you found out in your 50s that you got FAP, now granted, if you had FAP, you probably wouldn't have made it to 50 to even find out. You would have had colon cancer before that and never even made it to 50 years old. So this has, I think, not only for FAP in general, but the point of this podcast is to look beyond FAP and not even just cancer, but both genetics and cancer, that there is always something that can be done. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface when we're looking at it from this multifactorial approach, supplementation, targeted hormone therapy, certain types of even chemo or radiation might be beneficial in certain types of situations. In this case, you didn't have to do any of that. That's not even given as an option because why would you? Like you said, they don't even do biopsies because there's so many polyps that doing biopsies would be, you couldn't do all the all the biopsies. There's too many cells to do them on. Yeah, no, I think truly an amazing case study. And like you said, it, it kind of just, no, it's not just about FAP. It's about the thought that here's a cancer that's 100% positive or actually a condition that's 100% positive for cancer. So think about all the other diagnosis out there, diseases, chronic disease that this could have an impact on. Right. Now, I'm still not an expert in FAP. I know a lot more. I've learned a lot more about it in the last few years. I do not consider myself an expert. So I'm just throwing this out there. If you know anybody that has FAP, if you know any professionals that deal with FAP, I'm open to, we're both open to discussion about that. I would like to continue this conversation. Like I said, I'm in the process of kind of reverse engineering the protocol that I gave her and at least developing a mechanism as to why it helped. Because once we understand that, that's where the other possibilities can really be fully realized. Because now we know a mechanism, we know where we had an impact, why it had an impact, and then that can be spread out to other problems. I did was doing some research and there is a pathway called the WINT um, beta catenin pathway, which I really don't know much about at the moment, but I've been doing some research on it. Really complicated stuff about cell division and the cell cycle and all these different things that we'll maybe talk more about later, but it is really complicated stuff. And trying to understand and figure out where these nutrients and herbs and hormones had an impact there to be able to come up with some answers. You got a little technical on me there, Dr. Mackey. <laughs> well, like I said, I know that some of that stuff, the pathways and all that kind of stuff, we're, we're just kind of giving this overview description. Again, it is a fairly complicated process because it's dealing with genetics, but genetics are really hot right now. Everyone's talking about DNA, 23andMe, Ancestry.com. I'm looking at, you know, in some ways, once we understand and reverse engineer a little bit, that's where a personalized approach can even really be dialed down even more. So you look at these genes ahead of time, you know what genes you have. And if there are issues or problems or predispositions, now things can be introduced, interventions can be introduced very strategically to have a major impact in the future. Absolutely. That's why, you know, we don't do cookie cutter medicine. It's not one size fits all, or if one person has a condition, you treat them all the same. Everybody's so different. That's why they all come up with their own individualized 
treatment plan so that, you know, what's going to work for one person because of their lifestyle, their family history, their personal history, you know, that all the variables in their equation are different than the person next to them. So that's what I guess all our functional medicine that we're doing is all about. Yeah. Granted, like you said, with a protocol like this, it's a starting point. Okay. Is this going to work for another 10 people, another 50 people, another 100 people? I would like to think that it could, but it might need to be modified based based on that genetic information. Because like you said, you gave her the progesterone. Would you do that for a man or maybe might do a different kind of thyroid? You know, so depend, you know, everybody's different, but this was really cool. So definitely she'll, of course, I'm sure be a patient of yours forever for the rest of her life, which will be a very, very long life. So it'll be interesting to keep tabs on her. Yeah, well, we're definitely keeping our fingers crossed. She's thrilled at the moment because she's daring cancer in the face and she's so far she's winning. So that's about as good as we can hope for at the moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself or her to have any unrealistic expectations, kind of take it a day at a time, a month at a time, a year at a time. But so far, so good. You know, so far, it look, the future looks very good for her. So I think that does it for this episode. I think that this is, uh, again, I want everyone to kind of think about and just open up your mind to the possibilities that if there's, if you ever look on WebMD or Mayo or any of these kind of websites and it says there's no treatment, that means that there's no specific pharmaceutical treatment for that condition. Okay. But that's where we as we try to do it every day with people and because of this podcast we're trying to open up that conversation open up people's minds we open up our own mind we open up our patient's mind we want to open up all of your minds because there's always possibilities and hopefully maybe we have an impact and open up other doctors and healthcare practitioners minds of the conventional type to see that functional medicine natural medicine anti-aging medicine actually does work that it does have a major impact on what we do and how we feel and and it has an impact on the future. So thank you for listening. We will uh, catch you on another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Progression Health Podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.